It's always so inspiring to see those kids up here worshiping God like that, isn't it? But I have to be honest with you guys. You know, kids, I think if we had to give an award to the best dancer, it unfortunately wouldn't go to any of you guys. I think it'd have to go to Rick. <laughs> he was getting his moves on there. How are we doing today, you guys? Good. You know, there was once a CEO of a Fortune 500 company who has had a computer issue in the middle of one of his very important meetings, but the guy that he needed to fix it had called into work that day. And so he calls this guy at his house number, and somebody answers the phone and says, hello? And it's a child's voice. And the boss is frustrated because he's in this meeting and it's really urgent, and he's kind of annoyed by the fact that he has to sit here and talk with this child. And he says, is your dad home? And the kid goes, yeah, my dad's home. And he says, well, can I talk with him? It's really important. And to his surprise, the little boy answers, no. You know, growing increasingly annoyed because, like I said, he's in this meeting um, and he really needs this computer fixed. He says, well, is your mom there? It's really important. I need to speak with one of you guys. And again, the little boy just says, no, you can't. She's busy. And, you know, the boss thought it was really unlikely that this boy was left home alone, you know, a little kid. You don't leave kids home alone. So he's like, well, I'll just leave a message with whoever's there babysitting you. And the, um, so he asks, you know, is anybody else there with you that I can leave a message with? And the little boy says, yeah, there's a policeman here. You could talk. Well, can I talk with the policeman then? Like I said, it's really important. Can I please speak with the policeman? And he says, no, he's busy. <laughs> and well, the, the CEO goes, well, what is he doing that's so important that he can't come talk to me? He's like, well, he's talking with my mom and dad and the firemen. And this boss, you know, while he's getting really annoyed and he's starting to get a little bit alarmed, there's a policeman and a fireman here in this little boy's house and nobody is to be found. He hears this noise in the background that sounds like a helicopter landing in the backyard. And so he goes, what is that noise that I'm hearing right now? That sounds like a helicopter. And he goes, yeah, it's a helicopter landing in my backyard. And so the CEO is like, why in the world is there a helicopter landing in your backyard? And the little boy says, well, the search team is landing it. And the boss, obviously very alarmed now, wondering for this kid's safety, what is going on? He's like, well, why in the world is there a search team? What are they searching for? And over the line, you know, he hears this little giggle, and the little boy goes, they're searching for me. (laughs) (laughs) They're searching for me, he says. Now, I think we can all relate to this story. You know, we've all been lost at times, you know, whether it was intentionally or, or not. You know, we've all had moments in our lives where we've strayed, moments in our lives when we've said no thanks to Jesus and thought that our way was the best way. You know, for some it might have been something small, you know, and for others it might have been something that's just a full-out rejection of Christ and the message that he has for us, and that results in a blatant life of sin, but that happens to all of us in some way or another. And I'm pretty sure some of you guys in these seats today are probably feeling really guilty about that time you called in sick and said you wouldn't be at church because you wanted to go fishing instead, right? (laughs) We've all had things that we've done that kind of seem like we've strayed away. But I want to dive into a message today, even though I don't know what your lost looks like right now, whatever lost means to you, I want to dive into a message today that is going to touch on this topic. And it might be wildly familiar, but it has a message that often gets overlooked. So if you have your Bibles today, I want to open up to Luke chapter 14. I'll give you a second to turn there. It's Luke chapter 14, and we're going to be in verses 25 through 35 for this portion of the sermon. 
So Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace in the same way. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. That's the third time we've seen that message. It says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. I love this passage a lot. It's got a lot of good stuff in it for you guys. You know, we, here we see Jesus telling these tax collectors and sinners that he's speaking to just how much it would cost them if they chose to follow him. He even brings out his funny bone a little bit in this passage at the very end. You know, it says, he who has ears, let him hear. He's saying, those of you who have ears attached to the side of your heads, this message applies to you. Which coincidentally includes the Pharisees and the scribes who are trying to discredit him in the message that he has to offer, who thought that they were above the calling of Jesus. He is saying that no one is exempt here. You know, Jesus says you can't straddle the fence in the way that you follow him, in the way that you listen and serve him. You're either all in or you're all out. There's no in-between gray area. You're all in or you're all out. You know, it says salt that loses its saltiness has no purpose anymore. Just like a disciple unwilling to die to themselves and serve Christ no matter what it may cost them, no matter how hard or uncomfortable it may seem to you. It says, if you are not willing to do that for me and my cause, you have no purpose here. If you're going to follow him, it means you have to humble yourselves, and it means you have to step outside of your comfort zones, and you have to be willing to die to yourself and serve in whatever capacity is needed, whenever it's needed. That's the calling that Christ has laid on each and every one of our lives, to serve when it's needed to serve. In this passage, Jesus is explaining the cost of discipleship. That's what he's telling these people, the cost of discipleship. And he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his family, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And this is a vivid hyperbole. You know, it means that no one has, that one has to love Jesus more than anything else in order to truly follow him. 
means that we have to love Jesus more than anything else in order to truly follow him. And he puts it in these terms really for shock value. He wants to get your attention. He wants you to take a step back and think about the demand that he is making of us when we choose to follow him and choose to serve him. You know, he means in this sentence, he doesn't mean to literally hate your family. He doesn't mean, you know, you have to punch your siblings in the face or anything. He means that our allegiance and love for Christ has to be so great that our love for ourselves and for our family and for what we want to do has to look like hatred. Now, our love for him has to be so great that everything else by comparison looks like hatred. And Jesus didn't want blind followers He didn't want people who didn't understand the cost and the sacrifice that it takes to truly follow God in the way that we're called. You know, and the cost is complete and utter surrender to him and his will for our lives. We're going to jump into the following chapter here in Luke 15, if you guys don't mind jumping there with your Bibles. These are written in succession, so we're going to look in them, and he's talking to the same group of people here. And this is a parable that I'm sure most of you, if not all of you guys, have heard at some point or another throughout your lives. We're going to read verses fifth, or chapter 15, verses 1 through 7 here. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. It says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home and he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. I love that parable. It kind of has a a message that's calling us out of our comfort zones. You know, every time I read the parables, every single one of them, I find new perspectives and lessons hidden within those familiar details that we kind of grew up hearing. You know, I'm a pastor's kid, so I grew up these stories were like my bedtime stories. You know, we read them all the time and they're very familiar, but even still, I'm still learning new things. And I'm learning that Jesus is a master storyteller. He's fantastic. He tells stories amazingly and in ways that gets the point across the second you're done reading it. You know, and by this stage in Jesus' ministry, people who were flocking to hear him speak, all of these crowds, they were beginning to warm up to the idea that he was actually the Messiah, that he was actually the one who was going to come to the world and fulfill God's promises and do wonderful things while he was here. You know, but the Jewish establishment, and that means, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were not fans of this. You know, they saw his association with these tax collectors and these sinners and these prostitutes and as outrageous. It had never been done before. You don't associate with the people who are, you know, the black sheep of the world, you know, these sinners who were awful in the Pharisees' eyes. Now, in Luke 15, too, they call him out and they say, this fellow eats with sinners and welcomes them. 
And this is 100% true. That is accurate. Jesus surrounded himself with people who were bad people. You know, they were the drug lords of his day. They did terrible things often. You know, and back in Jesus' day, sitting down for a meal with someone was more than just associating with them. It was a sign of acceptance. It was a sign of recognition. And so not only did Jesus welcome these sinners and black sheep into his presence, but he accepted them as they were. They came as they were, and he ate with them. He loved them. He surrounded himself with them, regardless of where they've come from or what they have done. You know, and the religious leaders, they muttered, and they moaned, and they mocked, and they complained, because they hated the example that Jesus was setting for them. They hated it. It drove them nuts to see Jesus surrounding himself with these people, because it actually meant that they would have to make a heart change if they followed him. They would actually have to love people and minister to them instead of mock them and shame them and exclude them like they had been doing this entire time. They don't get to look down their noses anymore and feel more righteous just because these people have done something that they have probably done something just as, just as awful. You know, we're all sinners. But Jesus is saying, you don't get to look down your nose because we are all equals in the eyes of God. You know, Jesus had just finished calling out these Pharisees who were trying to discredit them on their lack of love for people and their lack of self-awareness. They had no self-awareness whatsoever. Now, and now in response to their muttering, he's telling them this parable that radically, it radically contrasts the love that God has for his people with the exclusiveness and the divisiveness of the Pharisees and the scribes in his time. You know, Jesus says, imagine you have 100 sheep. So picture this, you've got this pasture, there's 100 sheep sitting in front of you. You're the shepherd, you're trying to keep an eye on them, okay? And one strays off, you know, while you're tending to the other 99. Wouldn't you, as a sheep owner, leave the 99 sheep there in the open country to go find that one? that had just wandered away. You'd abandon the 99 to the wolves and chase down the one, right? You'd run through the wilderness. You'd go through any obstacle to find that one sheep and bring him home. He's asking, wouldn't you do that? And the obvious, you know, the reasonable answer here is, no, I would not do that. It's one sheep out of 100. It's 1% of my flock. Why would I, as a sheep owner whose livelihood is in this flock of 100 sheep, Leave the 99 to potentially be harmed to go chase down the one. That doesn't make logical sense, does it? It's like the complete opposite of a good shepherd. You know, it's the complete opposite. And in this day and age, you know, in our time, we would just cut the sheep's loss. You know, we'd write it off on our taxes and then we'd move on, right? And we'd put all of our focus into taking care of the remaining 99, Right? You know, Jesus' question is a little perverse, and it's actually really ironic. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's the perfect example of just how relentlessly God loves his people. It's the perfect example of just how relentlessly God wants us to do the exact same thing. 
Now, sheep were a really valuable commodity to the Hebrew people in his time. They were used for trade, for food, for shelter, for clothing, and sacrifice, mainly. They used sheep a lot for sacrifice to honor God. So they, Jesus knew in using this as an example, he would get his point across immediately. You know, they would immediately get his point. Like I said, he's a master storyteller. He knows just what to use in the situation to get his point across. You know, but have you ever wondered why Jesus, throughout his ministry, continues to compare his followers to that of a sheep? You know, it's not really the most flattering thing to compare us to. You know, sheep need constant care. Sheep need somebody to lead them to areas where there is enough food and water to sustain them. And sheep are also really skittish creations. You know, they have to feel safe. They have to feel secure. They have to feel comfortable in order to actually eat. They won't eat. They will starve themselves if they feel like they are in danger. You know, left on their own, sheep will wander and get lost. And the worst part is the sheep don't even realize it. You know, they're just going from pasture to pasture, from green patches to green patches without even realizing the dangers that are behind them. They don't realize they're lost. And that's the most heartbreaking thing about the people in the world today. There are so many people in our world, maybe some of us included, who don't realize they're lost. They don't realize the danger that is ahead of them. You know, just like the lost sheep, they are in need of somebody to come alongside them and guide them back home. They are in need of somebody to come alongside them and guide them back home. If that shepherd had not chased after that one and left the 99, it would have never found its way back home on its own. You know, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd in John chapter 10, who not only searches for lost sheep, but is willing to lay down his life for them. He cares about the lost. He actively seeks for those who are in need of saving. He is actively searching for people who are lost in need of saving, just like we are called to be the salt of the earth. So are we called to be like the good shepherd. Lost people need a loving and personal savior. Now, Jesus taught this lesson three times in succession just to drive home this one point. He taught three parables in succession because this was so important to his message for us. God deeply loves and personally cares for each and every one of you. We are valuable to him. We are a commodity. And he is willing to search relentlessly, no matter what's ahead, no matter the sacrifice or the cost, just to bring us back home. Now, Jesus concluded by telling them that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't think they need saving. Now, when people are just like sheep, we're pack creatures, right? We derive our identity and our worth from the people that we surround ourselves with, so our flock, and who we choose to follow, the shepherd. We get our purpose from that. You know, otherwise we feel alone, we feel cold, we feel lost, we feel abandoned, 
we feel helpless. Jesus felt compassion for the crowds because they were like bewildered and helpless sheep without a shepherd. That's in Matthew 9. And I wondered, does does your and my heart bleed for the exact same thing? Do our hearts bleed for the lost, the broken, the hurting, those who are in need of saving? My question for you today is this. Are you ready to go from the comfort of the 99 to chase down the one? Are you ready to stand up and say that no sacrifice, no level of, com- of uncomfortableness is too much to see a lost person saved? Are you ready to finally fulfill the purpose that God has placed on your life to chase down the lost and bring them back home? Now, we are called to follow in Christ's footsteps and have a heart for the lost. You know, we need to love others so much that no sacrifice is too great to see them saved. You know, just as the shepherd left the flock, so must we leave our comfort zones and our ideals and all of that behind. We have to be willing to lay it all on the line, be all in for the call of Jesus. Jesus commissions us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, saying, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We have so many kids here at OC who regularly attend... um, who don't know the love that Christ has for them. They don't know that message yet. Or some who are first-time guests who don't understand that they have a loving Savior who wants to know them. Now, children are in this beautiful stage in their lives where they are anxious to learn. They are seeking knowledge. And they are receptive to truth. You know, they're curious people. These kids, they are amazing, and they are desiring to learn from you and learn about the message that Christ has for them. You know, Scripture tells us to build up their foundation, and OC Kids gives us that opportunity to teach them that God loves them and the truths that he has for them early on in their lives so they can carry it with them until the end of their days. You know, today they may seem a little wild and crazy, you know, and they have a lot of fun, but they will be the next generation of church leaders, community leaders, world changers. You know, if we pray and seek God's face and lead them in a way that is honoring God, they can be even more effective than we are in the future. You know, I see such bravery and light in these kids, and it is a blessing to witness that every single Sunday and Wednesday. You know, and they go on to share that with other people, whether it's at school or at home or in the community. I've seen kids while I'm in Walmart come up to me and say, do you know about Jesus? You know, they are bold and willing to do whatever it takes to follow the calling that God has in their lives. Are we willing to do the exact same? And are we willing to feed that curiosity. You know, this ministry is vital in giving children the tools to make a difference both now and in the future. You know, how do you stop gossip among believers? You love kids 
well. How do you get Christian men to treat their sisters in Christ with respect and love their sisters in Christ? You love kids well. How do you impact the divorce rate among the United States? You love kids well. If you love kids well today, you can impact an entire generation of adults tomorrow. The time spent in OC Kids is, it may be the only time that these kids get to hear about God and his relentless love for them. It's important to raise up a generation of children that know their worth in Christ and know that they are loved by a God who accepts them to come to him as they are, whether that's broken, hurting, whatever their situation, however their lost looks, he wants to know them. You know, we don't get to know the background of the majority of the kids that come in these doors, but we still get to love them and intentionally serve them and allow God's love to touch their lives every single week. Now, this ministry in OC Kids and in Orchardville Church as a whole is worth every sacrifice that we make. And I want you guys to be a part of that. I want you guys to experience the joy that comes from being a part of that. Now, I want you to see just how much of an impact you can make on these amazing kids and how much of an impact they can make on you. They can change you just as much as you can change them. They're smart, and God uses them. You know, it's an incredible blessing to see them grow and learn to love people well. And it's a blessing to get to lead them in this curious stage of their lives where they are hungry for knowledge. As church leaders, we want to be a place that echoes God's love relentlessly. It's a simple message, but it's our goal every single week. It's genuine. It's simple. But it gets the point across. You know, it's life-changing. You know, our volunteers are the lifeblood of that ministry. They have the opportunity to be at the foundation of the present and the future. You know, they get to make real change by being involved here at Orchardville Church in whatever capacity that looks like for you, in whatever capacity God is calling you. You know, it may be something minuscule or seem like minuscule, but even in just providing snacks for our kids, you make a difference. Or just by greeting people with a smiling face as they come in these doors, you are the face of God to them. Christ calls us to leave our comfort zones and to chase relentlessly after those who are lost, after those who are broken, after those who are hurting and in need of saving. You know, in Mark 10, Jesus gives us a promise. He says, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for the sake of for my sake and for the gospel's sake, who shall not receive a hundredfold now and in this time to come, eternal life. Will you take up your cross for the sake of a lost sheep? Will you leave your comfort zones behind and choose to give up your time, your energy, and presence to serve God's people? Can you answer Christ's call on your life today? Now, if you're in here and you're a lost sheep today, I pray you take this opportunity to finally be found.
I know what it feels like to be so broken that you don't think you could ever be pieced back together again. I know what it feels like to feel so unlovable that you don't think you could ever love or be loved again. I know what it feels like to be so lost that you don't think you can ever find your way back home again. But I'm here standing in front of you today, restored and fully loved by a God who wants to know you. By a God who wants to love you. By a God who wants to take your sharp edges and grind them down and piece you back together more beautiful than before. A God who has been chasing you down this entire time you've been running. All you have to do is turn around and finally embrace him. He's right behind you. I ask, you know, if you're lost or if you just need some prayer or some encouragement, that you come forward at this time as we sing this final song. You know, myself and a couple of the leadership, I, I hope, can come up here and we can pray for you and love on you and lead you back home. We're waiting with open arms.